Welcome to Disrupting Japan. Straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'd like to share some amazing insights about the startups that are being spun out of Japan's universities. Because what's going on here is very different from what's happening in the U.S. or the EU. Today is a special select show, and I first spoke with Hiroaki Suga, co-founder of Peptidream, a few years ago. The points he made in that conversation, however, have only become more important since then. And I'll be back with an update after we talk. So, here we go. We've talked a lot before about how there are not many life sciences startups in Japan, and what can be done to change that. But there are, of course, some. And some incredibly successful ones. Peptidream is one of those startups. Founded by a small team at a university lab, Peptidream has grown from nothing to a $6 billion company. Today we sit down with the founder of Peptidream and fellow guitarist, Hiroaki Suga. And he'll explain how they're working with pharmaceutical companies all over the world to discover new drugs and new treatments. We also talk about the rather unusual business strategy that allowed them to scale up with relatively little financing and to land deals with global drug companies a lot sooner than most biotech startups can. And I've got to say, my conversation with Dr. Suga really changed my mind about the role that Japanese universities and the government should play in fostering startups and innovation here. It's a fascinating and unique perspective from inside the system. And I guarantee you, it's not what you think it is. But you know, Hiroaki tells that story much better than I can. So let's get right to the interview. I'm sitting here with Hiroaki Suga, the co-founder of Peptidream. So thanks for sitting down with me today. Sure. Very welcome. Peptidream is a, a peptide discovery platform, but what is that exactly? So the technology started over 25 years ago. I had ideas that, okay, I want to develop RNA catalyst. It's so-called ribozymes. I did a postdoc with uh, Professor Jack Shostak in Harvard Medical School. I ran the techniques for the in vitro selections, but I didn't really get a major success. But I, I was fortunate enough that I get academic position in State University of New York, Buffalo. So I, I was succeeding in developing what we call flexzymes. So the, the first patent, two patents are owned by SUNY Buffalo. Oh. But it wasn't really quite useful yet. So you were working on this for 20 years Pretty much, plus. yeah. Did you have a end target in mind saying, this is how I'm going to commercialize it? And this is why it's useful? Or? Right, right. I already envisioned that we can use, apply this to the in vitro translation system. Once we have this in hand, we can do a lot of things, a lot of interesting, interesting things, right? So I developed this flexizyme prototype in the U.S. I came back to Japan by the invitation of the University of Tokyo, I got back to Japan, and uh, immediately we succeeded in a real practical version of the flexizyme. 
that, that, that's that's interesting because I, Japanese universities have a reputation of really prioritizing pure research over applications. Right, but this is actually pure research stage. Okay. It's a really pure research. But I was in mind to make it very practical. So having this flexizyme allows us to rewrite the genetic code. We call it genetic code reprogramming. It sounds like from pretty early on you were thinking about how to commercialize this at, at some point in the future. Yeah, some point, but not I don't know when. I didn't know when. So was the drug discovery an early and obvious target, or was that something no, that... No, I was not interested in obvious target. This is just platform technology. Okay. So idea is I want to rewrite the genetic code, but at the time peptides containing the amino acids that which you don't see in a protein, then it's, I can mimic the secondary metabolites that various organisms like uh, bacteria and fungus and yeast and whatever they make. And these are very often used for antibiotics or something, other things. But natural product is a very important drug source for a long, long time. So if you can mimic natural product, then you can synthesize artificially natural product like molecule. It would be useful for drug discovery. So the Peptidrine platform and this technology in general allows the synthesis and analysis of a huge variety of natural product-like molecules. Right, and it can do it very quickly and very cheaply. Right. So, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Because, I mean, now Peptidream is a six or seven billion dollar company, but you founded it very recently. It was 2006, right? Yes. So back in 2006, you had a long, successful academic career. You had academic accomplishments and, and the proof of the value of the technology. Yeah. But how did the company come together? So I, I envisioned that, okay, if I further develop, I try to prove this system works for the drug targets. If I succeeded it, I'm pretty sure pharmaceutical companies will come to me to develop the drugs together. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. Because I know if I do with them, if I get something very nice product, and then I cannot publish. My mission in academic, we need to publish. If it's bad ones, maybe we can publish it. But if it's good ones, we cannot publish it. And I was really confident that we can get something really good ones. So so how did you get that that initial founding team together? I, I wasn't really intending to make a company. But I was disclosing the patent through the, uh, it's called Todai TLO, which is Technology Transfer Office in the University of Tokyo. They said, well, you know, this sounds like really good technology, and uh, are you interested in forming a company? I said, I may if I can find a good CEO. I don't want to be CEO. Uh, I don't think I can do CEO. Business is not easy. And so they started screening the people I interviewed, maybe four or five people. Then I found one, Kich Kubota. So uh, before forming company, meeting with him many times, mostly drinking together, to know him very well. Otherwise, I cannot trust. Yeah. I developed a good friendship. I can see his vision. Uh, it wasn't easy that he said yes, but <laughs> eventually he said yes, we do. That's, I mean, that's 
that's a technology transfer office working exactly the way they're supposed to. Yeah. But exactly. rarely the way they do. So were you worried that you would have to give up a lot of the academic research or that the time demands would... No, that's why I need the CEO, mm. right? If you, I, I start a company and by myself, it's going to take up the huge, huge amount of the time. At, at that time, I was a still research institute professor, so that's duty from the institute mm-hmm. or university duty. So I was much more time. And I was not quite famous at the time yet. But uh, so you were really trusting the entire business side of the company to him? Yes. And you were just focusing on the technology? Uh-huh. That's, 100%. That takes a lot of trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I, I did. I, I need to, to know him. Then also, there's another important person, which is Patrick Reed, who is also CEO of the company now. Uh, he used to be a science director. He was also associate professor in a different lab. He stayed in the one floor down of the my floor. But we met each other uh, in the faculty meetings. So we started talking, and I found that he is interested in starting a company. And I remember at the time, first time, before I decided to start a company, I said, ah, it's going to be very tough in Japan. Japan is not a very good place to start a company. So is Patrick an American? He's American. I think that's got to be one of the biggest difference between American university professors and Japanese university yeah. professors. So many American science professors are dreaming about want to start a company, sure. and so few Japanese do. I think they, they all, all Japanese professors are also somewhat thinking about or hoping to do it, but they don't know how, and they don't, they don't understand how the business is, and they think they can do the business. That's a big yeah, I know I grew up in a biz- the family having a business, own business. I know how hard it is. One thing I'm curious, so you've got this, this really good team together mm-hmm. that trust each other and, and yeah. you've got a foundation. But selling this technology, selling these projects, it's not like selling SaaS software. No. You're asking for really big commitments from pharmaceutical companies, from medical companies, how did you get right. that initial... Okay, so I'm an academic person. I have a lot of chance to deliver talks. I was invited in you know, many conferences. At that time, I already started to give, becoming a little bit more famous than before. I gave talks in many conferences, and then always there are some people from pharmaceutical companies. And uh, they heard my talk, and I said, wow, this is something new. So they started talking to me. So, so in, in startup terms, your, your lead generation was through academic conferences. and Yeah. Wow. It's always bringing in the people. So, so all of the first early companies that who has contract, so the, some Japanese companies, all come through me. So was it easy? They might to... forget about this already. But, <laughs> and that one's gotten big. <laughs> yeah. They might forget about this. All comes from me. I directed all people to go to see Patrick Reed. And then they started discussing about how they make a contract to make a drug discovery process. This becomes uh, building up the platform of the business model. I mean, now you, you know, Peptidream has an amazing list of clients from Bear to Lilly to, sure. I mean, but early on, were the Japanese companies or the foreign companies more willing to work with you at first? Actually, foreign companies. Yeah. So Japanese companies are very 
skeptical to develop drugs of the peptides. I said, oh, I want to develop the peptides drug. And most people said in the Japanese companies particularly, no, no, we have done it years ago. It never worked. It's very tough to get on the market. Do you think the reluctance was because of the peptide technology specifically or more of a general culture? That time is the peptides from the hormones, uh, some other natural products that people have a history of the peptides, a fragment of the protein can disrupt the protein, protein interactions or some kind of drug-like property. Never get a hit to the market because instability that the peptides are very easy to be digested in the body, in the bloodstream. And uh, efficacy is not that strong. Mm. And then it's hard to develop the drugs from uh, peptides because of insolubilities. And very often they have to synthesize long peptides and it costs a lot for that. So for the foreign companies that were willing to try it, was it because they, they hadn't tried it before or that they were willing to try again. Yeah, they have done also the same thing. Mm. So they have the same knowledge. But these relatively young people are, haven't really exposed that much of the bad experience. Japan is probably, even the young people wants to do it. That's true. They, they wanted to do it. But if we go up to the getting money, and these are people who have done, said, no, 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 it's not going to work. Foreign companies, <clears throat> a little different structure. And if it's Technology is there. They might become interested in That's a, probably the importance for the foreign companies, a little bit more aggressive, try to do something new, uh, testing new thing is oh. like their, their culture. And Japanese companies are less uh, aggressive in the sense. They were interested in too. That's why we had uh, some Japanese companies. But its attitudes are very different from the research level to the up level. I think it's foreign companies, a little bit of research level, even they're still younger people compared to the Japanese system. They tends to, okay, so it's something new, you know, maybe we can give it a try, you know, like if it's a not huge amount of money. In the pep stream in the beginning of the contract was not so expensive. Compared to any of the American biotech company, they probably request probably 10 to 100 times more money than Peptidin requested. Well, I noticed that the deals that you've done have been structured really interesting, where you have a small amount of money that's actually paid up front, and then you get additional money for... Step up. Yeah, clinical trials or yeah, discovery. Or... Right. So it's, we, we set the criteria to the each stage, and it, once you achieve it, you're going to get the money, right? Yeah. So in other words, you have to be very confident you can achieve it. If you're not confident, you won't do that way. Because you spend the time, employees will spend the time, you get nothing. So that means you waste your money. And, and that is why I think biotech investment is so hard. Because yeah. a lot of these companies, it's like, well, 10 years from now, mm-hmm. we're going to have these amazing drugs. Yeah. But there's not many people who are willing to invest tens of millions of dollars for 10 years. So, so early on, I mean, when you were starting out in 2006, this was before or maybe just at the very beginning of the recent like startup investment boom. So how did you raise funds? Was it just personal funds? Just to buy ourselves, yeah. yes. Mostly ourselves. Everybody put the money in. We were lucky enough that like a third year, I brought one deal. 
right? And then they actually closed the deal. It wasn't a big deal, but it was enough that we can actually start running with a healthy situation. So the third year was the first time you had a, a real deal. I think so. Second year, maybe the end of the second year. Wow. But the deal was actually not too small that we can sustain the company for another couple of years, no problem. But then having that deal, there are more people start coming in because when I gave a talk and then the more people attracted. The first one is always the hardest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first one was much more you know, like a try. So it was not a big deal. It was actually reasonable amount. You, you know? could, well, yeah, if you're running the company on very little money, even by pharma standards, a small deal is a huge amount of money. Yeah. So did the, the venture investment come after those deals or before those? Venture deals? was just one, right? Very small amount, $1 million, that's it. And one million dollars comes from uh, University of Tokyo, Edge Capital. We didn't need the money because we had already three companies collaborations going on. We thought that we probably can do without it. And there is another small half million dollars investment that comes from the trading company. Actually, as an early stage, cash flow positive biotech company, that's pretty unusual. Yeah, but it's not, it's not huge money, okay? So this was very important. I think we succeeded it in a sense that we didn't have a few million dollars or, you know, $10 million, okay? If you see the $10 million in the cash, you just will burn the money. When you have the $10 million, okay, so we're going to develop the drugs by ourselves. <laughs> they mis- misunderstand what the biotech startup can do in Japan, not in the U.S., in Japan. So it kind of gave you that focus. Right. So we really needed to develop the technology and then collaborate with the big farmers with the several lines, several pipelines, not only one. So if you contract with the three companies, usually three companies give us three lines, and you can get almost 10 lines rather than just one and right. spending a million dollars on it, burning it. Instead, we, are not, we don't burn anything, but you succeeded, money comes in. And then we put the criteria, so you don't get the money immediately, but once you re- reach the criteria, you can get more money, and, and then you get another stage, and you get more money. And it's much lower risk for the pharma companies, and yeah. potentially, and if a, a marketable drug comes out of this, a patentable drug, does Peptidream have uh, royalties on that patent yes. as well? So the long-term upside is much, much higher as well. Exactly. So for us, we don't have a risk. We are very confident we can get the criteria. There are higher range of the criteria, it becomes difficult because that's not what we promised anyway. Is there something unique about the, the Peptidream technology or yes. is this a technology, model that... Technology. So- so other biotech companies couldn't follow this path? Of- Probably not, unless you have a very good platform technology. Okay. Platform technology is very hard to defend because people can invade very easily to make a copycat of it. But the technology is very complex, very robust, and big farmers think, okay, it's worse to buy it rather than developing by ourselves, right? That's really the point. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's complex enough that people cannot. 
If you want to spend five years, maybe you can make another copy, and then you have a risk of the Wisu, and then you spend already five years of the investment. It's a huge loss. So, in that sense, it's much easier for them to purchase the technology or collaborate with the Pepsi Dream, and then see. You know, sure, it's cheaper, it's safer, and they still get the the drugs that result from it. Yeah, I've got to ask you though. I mean, the, the company was, you know, Peptidream has been hugely successful, but but you've kind of stepped stepped away from the the spotlight roles and even the the core technology roles. So why? 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 Because it's a business. <laughs> I'm more interested in developing new technologies. Probably related to the peptidine technology because that's it's my continuous of the academic research, right? But I want to do something new. I want to do. I focused on more challenges, right? So you want to do things develop. that are more like academically interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I can develop the another another technologies. I'm better to focus on academic research. So do you, can we expect a another startup coming out of the current research? No, I I already have. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I left 2018 June because I started another company with a different technology, more bi- biologics, not、uh, peptides. But there's some more relation there. I started Mira Biologics. All right. So will you be pursuing the same platform model? It's a different different technology, but it's we use a little bit technology that I developed. It's just a part of the technology that I I developed earlier, which doesn't compete with the peptides. But the sort of the business plan of saying we're going to use only a little bit of money,、um, very similar. Similar, yeah. So it's a little difference. Is now I have、uh, enough money that I invest by myself a larger amount of money than、yeah. before. Well, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, the IPO helped. Yeah, yeah. But okay, as someone who has founded two biotech startups in Japan, why do we see so few biotech startups coming out of Japan? We've got world class universities here. There's big venture capital. There's a big pharma industry here. Why don't we have a more robust? There are several reasons. The first one is a far less strength of the venture capitals. Venture capitals are not investing money to the risky companies. Biopharmas is at the highest risk. Yeah. Right. The small, the pharmaceutical companies are much higher risk compared to developing a software. That's true. Like a business software, after six months, you know if it's working or exactly. not. Exactly. But it's a there's a drug companies or you know it's a much more long term that they have to commit, and they have to wait, and they can't wait. And they don't have they don't have enough money to wait, okay? And the culture that they can wait, yeah, so that's the biggest problem because younger culture of the, the investment means that they are not mature, so they don't see the what the potential in ten years. They are actually looking at five years, yeah. right? And there's a U.S. had a, a larger examples, and they see maybe this will be ten years, fifteen years. You get a huge success. Look at the Gilead or all other companies. You know they are, they waited for a long time. Well, I think also in in Japanese VCs they they don't have the the technical knowledge that, that's, to that's to evaluate. That's what I exactly want, I want to say. Also,、yeah. the VC lacks of the technical knowledge, but at the same time there are not many PhD that who understand complex technologies. 
software is easier. Yeah. I mean, I'm being honest, uh, much easier than the biofarms. So it's, that's what, one of the reasons, okay? And the second reason is Japanese society itself prefer to go to the largest companies. The larger companies are stronger. Like, let's say, for example, all my students go to the larger companies. They all go to the big farmers. They don't know, they don't go to the path to dream. Is that risk-averse problem again? It, it's not risk. I think they don't think about risk, but they think, because the path to dream is no risk now. Yeah. Almost no risk. So big farmers is a much more known name and to parents, for instance, right? right. So easy to say. Well, good. So that's the society has a little issues of the going to the small company. And then also large companies are not very much interested in helping smaller companies. That's the cultural problem in Japan. Let's say, for example, that Pepsi Dream is just starting up. Okay, they get little success with a contract with other companies. Japanese company should come in immediately saying, okay, we are in Japan. Why don't we just do more bigger ones? Right, right. right. But they don't. They just watch. And growing, 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 Peptream used to be the risk. Okay? If you make a contract with the Peptream, is a risk. But now... The, you don't contract with a peptidine is the risk. Does it get back to that decision-making process you were talking about before where it always has to go up to... Exactly. So up there now they know, okay, so the peptidine has now so many companies, foreign companies that the contract and they're doing well. Clearly, otherwise they can continue this much. So now it's not a risk. But that's... (laughs) <laughs> that's bad for Japanese pharma companies. That's bad for Japanese startups. Exactly. How do we how do we fix it? I mean, do universities uh, have a role to play? No, no, I don't think. But then the last point okay. that I have to come back. Last point, right? There is not so many excellent technology there. The companies that who studied based on something, usually you see. Okay, so here's a company. Here's another company, similar. And another company is actually comes from uh, older companies. Like the, there are some companies that who are made IPO, originating from uh, the research units of the big companies. So they, the foreign company actually decided to leave the Japan and then they, they have a very good team there. So they decided to spin off the company. So they are, company that something having already background of the big farmers continue doing things right Mm. so that means that that company isn't really huge different from the big companies right it's the same people it's the same yeah so it's not really the technology based there is a drug based it's not technology it's not really a startup it's really more just a streamlined operation exactly yeah real reason is there is no disrupting japan type of, you know, disrupting economy, technology is not there. So this peptidine technology that I developed is the one that which is, you compare with other similar technology, is a far better than others. With the success rate, the hit rate, the, all these things is a far better than any, anything else. That's why we can win. So you have to be like 10 times, 100 times better yeah. before anyone will even notice you in Japan. Right. So, but... How do we fix that? How do we... 
so that well, I don't know how to fix it. To be honest with you, I think it's a. I mean, the reason I started another company is I want to prove myself that okay, that was not just lucky. I want to have nice plan, good technology. I think it, I have an, another very good technology together with another professor in a different school, Osaka University. I want to prove if the technology is good, and then team is good, we can do the same thing. Like Pepturing did. Yeah, maybe I'm just hopelessly optimistic, but it, but it sounds like the kind of environment you're operating in, or maybe the environment you're sort of creating, this sort of academic ecosystem, the foundations are already here in Japan. So I mean, but there, you don't think there's a clear path yet from academic technology to startup, not yet. No, yeah. So so it's one thing, and I I really need to say that the. The professors in the universities, they really need to work hard to get technology to be very practical, technology to be very robust, technology that you know you don't need to cheat the things to say, okay, this is a great technology. You really have to put efforts to get to the end. And then the Japanese government need to support for this type of the research. So that's a very critical. Here's the interesting thing, because looking at it, from outside, like I'm looking at it, it seems like it's very different from your point of view inside. So looking at it from outside, the government has provided a huge amount of funding to support startup innovation from universities. They've developed these programs to help commercialize these technologies. But is the culture That's inside... That's a stupid decision that what the government is doing. Waste of money? Waste of money. Is the culture inside universities changing here? Because it, it's historically been... Japanese academia, the professors pride, prided themselves on the abstractness, on the, the theoretical. And having a working technology, putting in that 80% of the effort to make it commercial was somebody else's job. Exactly. That's what I did, right? I wasn't really trying to commercialize the technology. I developed the technology that which is robust enough to transfer. When you transfer the technology... The company has to practice exactly the what I developed, right? So Patrick was the one that was really working yeah. hard to get it to that. His job is he doesn't need to develop the technology. He can trust my technology, but he can develop the after that. Like, like you said, it's a government putting money to helping the startups, encourage the professors to start up. That's good. And also they're actually funding more very upright as technology that is the professor said, oh this would be a big sort of things if you get the money like that you are not really hungry anymore to develop the technology to the end and you I lose that focus we were talking about exactly yeah and the most of the professor will get that from the government money is mixed up with the government money that what you get for the own academic research and it, you now it's like diluted basic efforts it's a stupid the government should put the money for more basic science, okay? Do academic the best practice. And then when you reach the point that, okay, maybe this can be a business, form the company by yourself, and then the capital money goes into that, developing something. So the money, the government money is not supposed to do 
that capital money kind of things. It's better to go focus on the research. So there, there needs to be a much clearer division between the pure research and the money for That's commercialization. What That's what it is. So government is making a huge mistake. That's what my opinion is. I mean, it's... No, but I mean, that might explain why, despite the huge amount of investment, there's been very few successful biotech startups. Yeah. I, you know, most of the people misunderstand because it's the peptidine success. I automatically get money, research money from the peptidine. I have never had research money. It's zero money from peptidine to the, my lab because we are very much separated. Yep. Yeah. So a, a clearer distinction about what's research, what's yeah. business. Yeah. Well, listen, Hiroki, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education system, the way venture capital is financed, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make it better for innovation and startups in Japan, what would you change? God, this is very difficult. It's kind of a fun one. It's truth is it's so complex. Universities in Japan is very complex. So I don't think one magic thing would work. But the government should make a research funds to the more basic science. This is all the other professors who got Nobel Prize is saying it. But I'm not saying this the same way. I think it's a breakthrough of technology, like your theme of the disrupt Japan, could occur only something really tremendous idea, breakthrough technology development. Plus, with a team that who are interested in developing business based on that. So the money is supposed to come very separately, don't mix it together. Mm. So one thing really I want to government giving the money, more money to the basic science, okay? Professors know if they want to develop something commercial out of this technology. Now, you need to have teams of these people who can really do investment and then also the, forming a team to bring the business. If that happens, great. But, you know, that, as I, again, I said, it's not one magic thing. It's like right. it has to be multiple. So the ideal situation would be a really well-funded basic research and then when truly revolutionarily, truly important technology comes out of that, you need le much less money to commercialize and to promote right. it. Right. That's what I think. I think it's, it's a stupid idea is there are not many such technologies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. not, not many. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not many. Very so, few technologies exactly. are really disruptive. Yeah. So that's why, you know, you just need to put all money to basic science, to develop the such a potentials. And then it's maybe only 10 or maybe 5 or maybe 3 comes out of it. Yeah, but you only need a, a couple every decade, right? Yeah. Of something that's truly, truly disruptive. Exactly. That means one in a year, right? That's very good enough. They can pitch to not the government, to the investors. The investors will look and they can decide they're not stupid. I think maybe the problem is almost startups have become too popular and too trendy. And so governments and, and large companies are more willing to put money into startups yeah. than they are into basic research. 
So it's, again, I said, Pepsi Dream has no money from the government. I'm very proud of it. You can succeed without the government money. I need the government money for doing research, basic science, and developing technology. But this is nothing to do with the company. Once you get it, you spin off, never touch the government money. And you're on the path of doing that again with your new company. Yes. And maybe that'll provide a, a kind of a blueprint or a roadmap that That's what other I'm biotech companies interested in. But. Well, I hope to see that. <laughs> so it's, it's a problem is, okay, so Pepsodium, okay, yeah, it's a good success, but and it's, it's really unique that what you've done. But that's just a matter of the lack, you know? So do it again. <laughs> so. Well, listen, thank you so much thank for you. sitting down. Thank you very much. And we're back. Hiroaki's explanation of the decision-making process at large Japanese companies was pretty much perfect. I mean, I've been selling new technology into Japanese enterprises for the past 20 years and across quite a few industries. And he's right. Great innovative ideas get adopted or, or even invented by younger employees. But middle management at most Japanese companies has very, very limited decision-making power. The real decisions are made higher up by people who don't really understand the new technology, or often even the problem it's trying to solve. From a sales perspective, this just means a longer, more consultative sales cycle. But this is hurting Japan. It's causing some of Japan's most powerful companies to fall further and further behind. But I think Hiroki's insights into the role that university and government funding should play in the startup ecosystem were the most interesting. And it's something we discussed in even more detail after the interview. And yeah, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But, but sometimes the absolute best conversations I have with my guests happen after I put the microphones away. Anyway, I think Hiroaki is right. There needs to be much more separation between research funding and startup funding, both from the government and from the startup investors. Startup investments should be to commercialize an existing technology. Those funds should not be used to do additional basic research. But with so much funding earmarked for startups, many researchers are packaging up their research in startup stories and raising money for it that way. And this seems to be one of the big reasons, perhaps the main reason, that Japan has so many extremely well-funded university startups with really promising technology that never quite managed to commercialize their offering. The solution is simple, but not easy. The solution is clarity. Take a lot of the government money out of the startup funds and put them into research grants. But the money in the startup funds, well, that's for startups. That's for growing a business. And if the researcher wants to continue doing fundamental research, that's great. But he, just like Dr. Suga, needs to hand control of the startup over to someone else. Okay, as promised, 
It's time for some updates. Hiro's new startup, Mira Biologics, is up and running. And he's following the same playbook that made Peptidream successful. He's brought in someone else to be the CEO, and he focuses on research and some light lead generation and business development. It's the right formula, but very few technical or academic founders are willing to give up that much control and allow money to be funneled away from research and into commercialization. But getting this right is so important in Japan right now. Both public and private investors are doubling down on commercializing the deep tech research that is going on in Japanese universities. The University of Tokyo alone just raised a new $540 million startup fund. And that's just the most recent. UTech and other Todai-related funds have raised over a billion dollars. And other Japanese universities also have VC funds in the hundreds of millions. While Hiroaki's pragmatic approach is the one I personally agree with, there's another strategy at play here that might be equally valid, despite what Hiroaki and I think of it. Using risk capital to fund basic research, with the goal that when the technology becomes transformative enough, its value will be obvious, and the industry will adopt it. It's certainly not the traditional startup way, and it, it seems to me that it just delays the research versus commercialization problem rather than solving it. And, you know, I, I mean, prioritizing technology over customer needs is rarely a winning strategy. Rarely. But sometimes it is. And Japanese industry is providing a lot of this new funding. So industry is already on board. So, let's you and I keep an eye on this, and I'll try to get a research-focused founder to come on Disrupting Japan and give their perspective. Because there's something very interesting going on here. If you want to talk more about peptides or university spinouts, Hiroaki and I would love to hear from you. So come by DisruptingJapan.com slash show 185, and let's talk about it. If you leave a comment, I guarantee Hiroaki and I, or maybe both, will respond. And hey, if you get the chance, please follow us on LinkedIn or leave a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Or, you know, if you like the show, just, you know, tell, tell a friend about it. <laughs> In this age of over-the-top hype and fake-it-till-you-make-it influencers... A simple, honest recommendation, and it really means a lot. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan. <laughs>